0: Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services.
1: We have our Stoke Out coming up. Many of you guys, if you've been with us, you know what that is. It's it's where we come together and we... Um, we pool our resources and we um, we stoke out disadvantaged families. We give uh, kids shoes and sweatshirts for Christmas. And our event this year um, is on December 4th. But if you are a family that um, in need, if you could actually benefit from being uh, a beneficiary of the stoke out um, you can actually sign up with us to be a part of that on the receiving end of that uh, I'm going to give you a, an email address to sign up so if, if that's you get ready to write this down it's churchfam at stokeoutsantacruz.org churchfam at stokeoutsantacruz.org or if you want to email and identify a family that would be good for us to uh, stoke out this year that would be great all right, so we're gonna um, crack open the Bible together this morning. If you guys have been with us, then you know that um, we're teaching our way through the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and we're gonna continue with that today. Um, when I was a kid, I there was a brief period where I was kind of into baseball. If you if you know me very well, you know that I'm like not into sports. It's kind of a thing with me. I just I'm not into sports. But there was a brief period where I I, I did I went to some baseball games. I played a disastrous season of Little League baseball. uh, That's better left not talked about. Um, But I I was into baseball. And actually, my favorite thing about baseball was collecting baseball cards. That was actually the thing I liked the most about it. And I loved finding these cards. And and I would go down to, at that time, there was these little stores everywhere. They're mostly gone now. But there were these little stores. There was two in Watsonville. There was another one here in Santa Cruz. and, um, And it was a little... Uh, comic book slash baseball card store. Do you remember when this was a thing? They were kind of like all over. And I would I would get my allowance, and I'd, or I'd do some chores and earn some money and ride my bike down to the store. And they'd have, you could buy baseball cards in packs or as individuals, and then they'd have the really special ones that were worth a lot of money, and they'd have them up on the wall. Has anybody ever seen this before? Like, I, I'd go in there, and I'd look, and I'd be like, oh, man, look at that. You know, that card with this famous player. I mean, sometimes you'd see these ones up there and be like $100 dollars or $150 I'm like oh man I mean as a you know 10 11 12 year old that to have a card worth that kind of money was like whew, that was a big deal right you know so I'd buy a little pack with two you know for $2.99 thinking if I got one of those cards think about how my the return on investment right yeah. well one day, I was at this friend's house, and they had, uh, his mom had bought him a package of Mother's Cookies. Do you remember Mother's Cookies? Like, it was a, this was their, um, their little value pack, and it had the little pink and white anim- frosted animal cookies with the sprinkles. Remember those? Oh, my gosh, probably just full of chemicals. But, and then they had, like, a little chocolate chip one and another one. But it was the, the value pack of Mother's Cookies, and he opened it up, and inside was a plastic-wrapped baseball card. And I was like, oh, how cool is that? And he opened it up, and it was Jose Canseco. I was like, what are the chances? Like, all the baseball cards out there, and he gets a, I was, oh, I was so jealous. So the next time we went grocery shopping, this is like full confession, my mom's never even heard this story, so if she's watching this online, we're, we're in the grocery aisle, and we didn't have a lot of sugar in our house. My parents were kind of of the hippie variety, and we had like, like we made our own peanut butter and stuff. You know what I mean? There was just like not a lot of, uh, we didn't eat cookies and drink soda, but, I, we were going down the aisle where the cookies and the crackers were, and I grabbed a bag of those Mother's Cookies. I saw the, the value pack, and I went, whoop, just dropped it in the, <laughs> into the shopping cart, and she didn't even notice. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's going to go through. And she, you know, we got the groceries, checked out. She was busy doing other things, and we got it home, and I opened it up, and I pulled out a card. You wouldn't believe it. It was Mark McGuire from the A's. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. Well, over the course of the next, like, Month and a half through various and sundry means, I I acquired more of these bags of these mother's cookies, and I would like tear them open. I take the card out. I don't want you, I don't want to tell you how I got some of these bags because it would make you think less of me. But, uh, and I would literally throw the cookies away and keep the card. And I got Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco again, Mark McGuire, Mark McGuire again. And I was like, What are the odds? This is amazing. And then all of a sudden, I realized. I, so I took him down to the, the baseball card store, and I was like, look at these cards. And the guy's like, yeah, the, every bag has a Mark McGuire or Jose Cansego. They're, they're worth nothing. They're, like, <laughs> they're not even worth a penny. I was like, what? You don't know what I've gone through to get these cards, you know? I thought I was making this investment that would have this like, incredible return. Have you ever done that where you've like invested in something, and it just like nothing came back, right? Cryptocurrency, we're kind of looking at you right now, you know? There's, there's, this, there's this way in which there's this, like, allure in the American dream of, like, you put in this and you get that back, right? It's, it's so exciting when you think about it. And Jesus talked about this. He actually talked about investing in this passage that we're going to look at today. So we've been looking through the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and we're in Matthew. So this sermon occupies Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7, right? And we're in chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. So if you have a Bible or you'd like to look at it on your device or whatnot, you might want to go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. I'm just going to read the passage. We'll have it up here. Um, it's, it's fairly brief. I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. Okay, here we go. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It says this, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves can break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermins do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So these are this is a, a a really classic example of some of the teachings of Jesus, where he has several little sayings all kind of bundled together. And what he's doing is, you know, so he spoke this. He would say this out loud, and people would record it. In this case, Matthew his his dear friend Matthew recorded this. He wrote down these sayings and then those sayings were copied and copied and copied and spread around and eventually translated and eventually here we are reading them. This is, but what Jesus is doing with these words is, um, you know, this isn't like a, uh, a fortune cookie or a greeting card. He's creating a, um, with his words he created, it, it, think of it like a three-dimensional kind of artifact. It has all these layers to it and he created this with words knowing that he could send it down through time, right, and it would travel and make its way to this point right here, today. The words of Jesus, he sent them to us today, and we get to unpack and unravel them today. And, and when I say three-dimensional, I mean, he oftentimes his, his words operate on multiple levels when you read them. It's, you know, it's not just him saying, one thing on one level. It's, it's actually multiple levels. In fact, the, the, this particular passage we're looking at is really cool because he's, he's modeling it after uh, the wisdom tradition. So if you look in the middle of your Bible, there's these books. We call them the wisdom books. Uh, one in particular is Proverbs. And the rhythm of Proverbs, if you've ever read Proverbs, sounds a lot like what Jesus is doing right here. Um, if you do this, then it's very likely that that will happen. That's the rhythm of wisdom literature, or it might say, "Don't do this; instead, do that." It's it's a, it's a type of literature that the first century Jews were very familiar with. It's a motif, and so Jesus takes that motif, and inst- and most of the wisdom literature is, concerns itself with very practical, very material things. You know, um, uh, store up your uh, grain in the in the. In the right season, so that when the winter comes, you have food, you know, that kind of thing. But he takes that motif and he talks about loftier, more spiritual things. So that's one level at which Jesus' words are operating. The next level is it's operating at this level where you can actually use these words to perform self examination. You can read them and understand yourself better. I call it, uh, I call passages like this, like a heart thermometer, right? You know, you stick the thermometer in. I cooked a A turkey for the first time for Thanksgiving, like three or four years ago. It was the first time I ever done it, and uh, I my mom called and said, "Hey, if you need any advice with the turkey, just let me know." I was like, "Mom, I'm fine. I got the internet. You know, I'm I'm good. I I read how to do this thing, and I thought I had it. Like, I I thought I had this thing dialed, and I don't know what I did wrong, but at some point, like like minutes before we're gonna eat, everything else is ready. I stick that thermometer in, and and it's like cold on the inside. You know, like. But you never know it from the outside. And this is true of us, too. Sometimes from the outside, it's so difficult to tell what actually is happening in our hearts. Um, and words like this are... are, are it's, it's a tool that we can use to check our heart. Where, where is our heart aligned? And the, and the third level these words are operating at, are, are, it's, it's giving us behavioral insight. Do you want to understand people better? Do you want to understand human behavior better? I mean, who, who doesn't, right? Words like this actually help us understand the actions of others and of ourselves. Why do we do things the way that we do? Why do we act in the world in the way that we do? Um, Words like this actually help us understand that. And in particular, it's interesting that when you read through the Gospels, what you find is that Jesus talked about money, not infrequently, he kind of talked about it a lot, which is a strange thing for someone that didn't have a home and depended on other people for food, right? Um, He was essentially a, a homeless teacher and yet he talked about money kind of a lot. But I think that, I think the purpose of that though was that he he utilized the topic of money to talk about actually deeper things, heart conditions. Money was his, his avenue into the conversation. And when you see these conversations that, he, that take place about money and other things, what you see is he's building something. He's, He's building a framework of contrast where he's contrasting something. Oftentimes, Jesus will use these kind of terms. He'll talk about the world, and he'll talk about the kingdom, and he's building a way for us to contrast those two things. in In the world, we're motivated by uh, looking for what I can get, right? We're we're looking for what I can get. We we're following our dreams, following our heart, right? Saying yes to ourselves, you know. We're we're out there getting something for ourselves. And, and when people do that, we, everybody applauds, like, good for you, you did it. You pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and you went out there and, and made your dreams happen. That's, that's the world. In the kingdom, we're living to see where we can give to others, what we can do for other people. There's a, there's a term in psychology that helps understand human behavior that's this. It says, people do the things they do because they want something for themselves. If you ever ask yourself, why did someone do that? It's because they wanted something. That's why people do the things they do. It's, it's base human nature to do what you do because you want something for yourself. You went into the kitchen. Why'd you go there? To make a sandwich. You wanted something for yourself, right? It's very natural. But what Jesus is doing, he's, he's building a new world, a new kingdom, he calls it, where the, his followers begin to act in the world, and they do the things that they do because they want something for someone else. You see the distinction? So in our passage today, there's a progression. I don't know if you saw it, but first he talks about treasure. He's talking about physical money, right? And he, he uses it in a way to, to point out how fleeting and, and frivolous things can be, like my, you know, my Jose Canseco baseball card that turned out to be worth nothing. You know, I'm, I'm working on my house right now, and I... Amy and I have this. We bought this house. That's it's very, very old. It was built in 1867, and so when I open up a wall, or like this weekend, I was pulling up the stairs so I could put new stairs in because the stairs are all crooked and messed up. They're actually pretty dangerous. I fell fell down them a couple times. Um, so I'm putting on these new stair treads, and when I pull up the old ones, here's what I find. It's pretty. Have you ever seen a square nail before? I'm finding these all over, and when I found the first square nail, when I pulled a board out of the wall, and this old piece of redwood came out, and it had a square nail attached, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a nail, hand hammered, from 1867, this is incredible, and I took it out, and I freed it, and I straightened it a little bit, and I put it on my shelf, I was like, that is so cool, and then I found another one, and another one, and another one, and now I have jars full of them, like... You know, at this point, I'm like, I'm, like, pulling them out, and I'm throwing them away. I'm, like, pounding them back in. I'm breaking them off. When I first found them, they were so cool. But now they're, I realize they're actually worth nothing. It's just kind of like they're just in my way, right? And this is, this is what Jesus is pointing out when he's talking about physical things being eaten up by vermin and moths. He's saying all of the, all, all of the things that we ascribe value to, it, it's just a facade, you know, the dollar is worth a dollar just because we say so. If we all changed our mind about it tomorrow, it just wouldn't be worth that anymore, you know? It, it's just a facade. But he said there's things of eternal value that have values that don't change, ever, because we didn't ascribe the value. And then he begins to talk about eyes, and, and the, the words he uses are, are almost kind of spooky. He says the eyes are like a window to the soul, right? And and he's using first-century vernacular um, that's a little bit beyond us, but but uh, what he's trying to say is there's a way in which we we allow things into a vulnerable part of us, and one of the ways we do that is through through our eyes. We'll talk about that more in a minute. And then finally, in the progression, he talks about our allegiance, who and what we serve. And this is, this is deeply spiritual. He says you cannot serve two masters, right? So this leads us to our, our we have one point today that I wanted to leave you with today. Um, and then we're going to kind of break down the verses a little bit. And it's this, that the way of Jesus leads us to invest where it matters most. If you like to write things down, you might want to write that down. The way of Jesus leads us to invest where it matters most. I think Jesus is leading his followers into thinking of themselves as investors. Now, when we say that, what we you know, as modern people, we think of uh, like Wall Street investors, right? But that's, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's, he's talking about people that, that take their, the resources they've been given from God and they do something with them to produce something that benefits people around them. What are the three resources that we all have as human beings? Just, just boil the plate right out of the gate, we get these three resources. We, we start with two and then we acquire the third. The first is time. You've been allocated a certain amount of time. Um, you, you You know how people say, I do this to save time. You actually can't save time. You spend time at the same rate as everybody else, one second at a time. It's just how it works. You can't get to the future any faster than I can, and you can't go back and access the past. It's just how time works. You've been allocated a certain amount of time. Now, I don't know how much time you have, I'm going, to be, I'm going to live to be 120, that's my plan. Uh, but each one of us has been allocated a certain amount of time, and we can spend that time. We can invest that time. We can waste that time, but we actually can't save it and use it later. Right? We spend it. Every day we spend our time. That's the first resource we're given. The second is energy. You have a certain amount of energy. You can't do things 24 hours a day. I tried that in college. You you can't do it. You can do it for a little while, but uh, you run out of energy pretty quick. You have a certain amount of energy. Every single day, you've been allocated a certain amount of energy. And you can increase that energy through healthy living, but ultimately, you only have so much that you can give. You might have a job. You might have two jobs or even three jobs. You might be going to school. You might have a family or kids. But at some point, you run out of energy, and you can't do anything else. And you can spend it. You can invest it. You can waste it. And third, this comes later, this isn't given to you right off the bat, but you have resources, you have materials. Some of them you've been given, some of them you've earned, some of them have just fallen in your lap. And you can spend them, you can invest them, or you can waste them. Those are the three things that we have. But we are finite beings ultimately, right? I mean, these physical bodies, they, they have... Uh, they have a clock. There's a beginning and a middle and an end. We're finite, and our resources are finite as well. But if, if you had an opportunity to invest into something that you knew would not be finite, that would actually last for an eternity, wouldn't you wanna do that, right? And this is what Jesus is doing. He's offering us this opportunity. This is what he talked about all the time when he talks about the kingdom. Invest in something that will last forever. And how does it last forever? What are we doing? We are preparing the way. This is what John the Baptist uh, was said about John the Baptist when he came. He said, I've come to prepare the way. And he started a tradition that we continue this day. We are preparing the way for the coming of Jesus. You know, have you heard about um, the people that are kind of talking about um, colonizing Mars? Have You you ever read about this? This This is really fascinating to me. I'm really interested in this. Although, if you ever have the opportunity and someone says, hey, would you like to go to Mars? Can I just suggest don 't take it you don't want to go to mars it's It's really horrible there it 's actually really terrible. We have it pretty good here it's it's terrible there they're they're way behind us on mars right now' just, it's just it's not good uh, They have no air, so that's not good there's no water, which I feel like that's kind of like you kind of need water. you know what I mean? No air, no water uh, and and it's it's very cold you 're right it's very cold it 's kind of terrible there so so the, what they talk about is, is the scientists are talking about building machines that would terraform Mars. Have you heard this term, terraform? Terra is the Latin word we use for Earth, terra, Earth. And terraform is to make this place more like Earth. They, they want to build machines that will change the atmosphere to be more breathable and to uh, you know, generate water and, and liquids that are drinkable and usable, right? Terraforming. What we are doing is crystal forming We're we're making this place uh, an environment that is suited for Jesus. We're we're changing the atmosphere of the, the earth through things like kindness and compassion. We're actually changing our environment to prepare the way for our coming king. And in that way, we're investing in something that's eternal. So when we invest in the kingdom, we're bringing his kingdom here on earth. That's what we're doing. So investing in the kingdom, I, I kind of identified these, these three things that, that are the outflow of, of investing in this way. And the first one is kind of revealed in the first part of that verse. Let's read this again. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But store up yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's interesting that the first two lines of this saying are actually not to be taken literal, the first one would, if we took it literally, would actually contradict a bunch of the Proverbs. It says, don't store up for yourself treasure on earth. In fact, the wisdom literature tells us all the time, <clears throat> save for a rainy day. Be smart, right? Don't, don't be frivolous. Don't be dumb or you'll end up being uh, someone else's burden, right, with your, with your finances. Um, but Jesus sounds like he's contradicting that. In fact, what he's doing is he's saying, that can't be your only focus, right? In fact, that, that, uh, that Greek word there for store up and for treasure, it's basically the same word. He's saying, um, he's saying when you store up treasure in heaven, you're, 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 you're treasuring your treasure. You're, you're valuing your values. What you're doing is you're moving the place where you ascribe value to over here. You know, when I was a kid, I was ascribing all this value to these Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire cards, and I found out the whole thing was a sham, you know, so I move that value over to something else. That's what we do. We go through life changing our values all the time, right? And what he's saying is move your values over onto eternal things. And when we do this, when we invest in the kingdom, it reveals our values. It reveals where our values are. Do you ever stop and consider, I wonder what my values are? Well, Look at, look at where you invest. Where do you invest? <clears throat> That'll tell you where your values are. And second, it illuminates your life. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, again, this is a first century Jewish idiom that is lost to us. This is kind of like, like if I said, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. A thousand years from now, people would go, what? That's a weird thing to say, right? But you know that what I mean is, I'm just really hungry. This is one of those Jewish idioms that's hard for us to understand. But the, the point of it is that the eyes are like a window to the vulnerable part of us, which is our our soul, our spiritual being. And we actually see this in life, where if you open yourself up to negativity, for example, it affects you deeply. You know, a few years ago, I was really... Um, I just felt really convicted about my participation in um, some things on social media where there was just so much negativity. I was just reading... And uh, sometimes commenting on things that were just so intense and negative all the time, I just stopped. I, just, I was like, I need, I need to just like, be free of this. And then a, a, few, a couple years ago, I got this alert from Facebook that said, you have violated the terms of our uh, community or whatever, and we're, we're going to boot you from Facebook, which is weird because I hadn't done anything. I think it was like maybe my account got t- um, hacked or something. And at first I was like, oh, no, i got to on, get on there and make, you know, do the steps and show that it's really me and like, get it back. And I started to do that, and all of a sudden I was like, eh. You know, like, eh. And so I just don't have Facebook anymore. And you know what? I love it. <laughs> it's awesome. Because before it was like, I'd get on there, and I'd see all these like, really negative things that people were saying to each other and about each other, and I'd just get all angry and upset, you know? And I don't feel that way anymore. <laughs> and it's awesome. But there's a way in which we just allow negativity to just pour into our souls sometimes. And he's saying, you can regulate that. You're in charge of that. You can make better decisions about it. There's a way in which we allow sexual brokenness, too, to affect us through our eyes. You know, I have three kids, and they're not getting younger. They're getting older. And recently I sat my two boys down. um, They're uh, 10 and 12, and we had... The pornography discussion, you know, just to be frank. You didn't think you were going to hear about this today, but here we are. And I just said, I just, you know, I, and I talked about And I, here's the, I don't know how other dads do it with their sons. This is the approach I didn't take. I didn't say, uh, this is a sin and it's bad and dirty. And if you do it, God will be upset with you. Um, instead, I said, I said, this is a medium by which, by definition, it harms women. It objectifies and commodifies their sexuality and their humanity. And it is our sacred duty as men to resist that paradigm at every chance we get. And the way we do that is by guarding our eyes. Right? So, so we had this discussion. And, and, it, and now, now I have a reference point to come back to and to talk about it with them. Right? And, and we can do something about it. Investing in the kingdom, it illuminates... The the inner parts of our life that otherwise other people can't see, right? And then lastly, I think that investing in the kingdom, it aligns our allegiance. It shows us who we're allegiant to. He says this, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You know, there were two kinds of slavery in the first century. Um, There was the kind that we're probably more familiar with. You'd call this chattel slavery. This is where a human being owns another human being as property. This is a despicable um, practice, of course. Um, And that existed in the first century in the Roman Empire in lots of places, but it was actually fairly rare in uh, Judea and Samaria. So when Jesus was speaking to these people in the first century, it's possible that he was talking about that, but it's more likely he was talking about the second kind of uh, slavery, which we would think of as more like indentured servitude. This is where like, if, if you didn't have a lot of money, but you had some marketable skills, you could actually hire yourself out to a wealthy family as a servant. And you would be theirs for a certain number of day, uh, hours a day, but you still belonged to yourself. And actually, it was a fairly common practice for people to hire themselves out to multiple masters. So you, you could work in the morning for this guy over here, and you'd work in the afternoon for that person over there, and you could pay off debts pretty quickly that way. It was a, it was a common practice. So he says, you cannot serve two masters. There's probably literally people in, this, in that crowd serving t- two masters going, wait, wait a second, I'm doing that right now. This is his way of going like this, hey, hey, pay attention to me, pay attention, because he says something that seems contradictory. And, and for us, if, if, there's many of us that, I mean, you might have a job, you might have two jobs. You might have two jobs and be going to school. You might have all of those things and kids you're raising. You, you might have multiple masters that you're serving right now. And Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. So we're supposed to go, wait wait a second, but I'm doing that right now. And then he tells you which two masters he's talking about. He says you cannot serve both God and money. And there's a lot of Greek words that he could have used for money. He could have used words that meant like cash or Uh, things that you earn, but he used the word mammon. Have you heard this word before? If you read this in the New King James, they leave it untranslated. They say you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon is a Greek word that, it didn't mean just cash. It meant the kind of, you know that kind of money? I met this guy one time, uh, he came through my shop and I found out later he was a billionaire. And I found out from his contractor, and his contractor said, oh, he has, you don't know about his kind of money. If you had his money, you'd throw yours away you know that's the kind of money he has right that kind of money brings with it power it brings with it a certain level of privilege that's mammon it's not just it's not just money it's power and privilege there are places in your life where you have power and you have privilege and you might think why well, I, I don't it doesn't feel like i have much but you have some and what he's saying is when you you cannot live a life in service to garnering more power, privilege and money and live a life aligned with his values, kingdom values. You can love money and use people or you can use money to love people. You can't do both. So as we find ourselves in a position where we're we're saying Jesus, we want to align our heart, we want to align our mind and our souls with your values. He's saying, well, where are you using your power, privilege, and money to benefit others? That's his question. And this is how, this is how serious Jesus was about these things. There's a story in, in all four Gospels. You know, there's Jesus stories all over, but, but this one actually appears in all four of the Gospels. And it's the story where he goes into the temple. And in some of the accounts, he, he makes a, a, a little whip out of ropes. He ties knots in them, right? And he goes in. And it's, in fact, let me read it to you. He says in Matthew chapter 21, it says, Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables of money changers and benches of those selling doves. And he says, it's written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robins, of robbers. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is, is a roadmap pointing his followers back to Jesus. It's, it's telling us where to find him. And he wants to sanctify his house again. We're not talking about buildings, because in the kingdom, we became the temple. When we gather together, we are the temple of Jesus. And as individuals, our heart became the temple. Your heart is a temple for Jesus. And when you invite him in, he's knocking, and when you invite him in to your heart and your mind, let me tell you, he might turn over some tables. He might get rowdy in there. He might just come in and turn some stuff over. Let him. Let him do that. Because as he does, you'll find that you are becoming the person that you were designed to be all along. And your heart softens. And your mind changes about certain things. You begin to categorize people in a different way. And you begin to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. He wants to sanctify his house. He wants his house to be a house of prayer again.
0: We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at Lastly, We give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.